0: Hi, everybody. I'm here today with Ricky Ott, PhD. She is a trained marine toxicologist, an author, and former commercial fisherman who experienced the Exxon Valdez oil spill firsthand. Her latest book on oil, Impact, is Not One Drop, published by Chelsea Green. She starred in Black Wave, an award-winning feature film, In 2010, Ott brought her expertise to the Gulf, volunteering five months to expose the BP's cover-up attempts and to empower local residents to take action. She co-founded Ultimate Civics, a project of Earth Island Institute and a member of the National Grassroots Coalition, MoveToAmend.org, and is calling to amend the Constitution to abolish corporate Personhood. In October, Ott received Huffington Post's Game Changer 2010 award. Ricky, um, tell us why, after going through the ordeal of the Exxon Valdez, you chose to go to attend
1: to the BP oil disaster. That was actually a really tough decision to make. Um, I actually hid from the media for a full week um, because i didn 't want to go through it again all the lies the deception, um, the depression um, I knew what was going to happen and then it occurred to me that I did know and I had learned a lot and so had our community of Cordova, Alaska so I realized that the people in the Gulf didn 't know and they were Um, Headed to make all the same mistakes that we made. So I thought, maybe we don't have to do that again. Maybe we can just short-circuit all those mistakes. Maybe the people um, could learn something from us. And so I flew down with a one-way ticket on May 3rd um, to basically share what had happened to us in Alaska and hope to prevent the people in the Gulf from making the same mistakes that we had made.
0: So, how were you able to help and impact the people, the fisher women and men of the Gulf?
1: The very first time I spoke with people, um, um, it was with the fisher uh, the fishermen down in Venice, Louisiana. That was on May fifth, and. Already by May 5th, the people were experiencing the exact same health symptoms, the illnesses that we had um, after the Exxon Valdez oil spill. Our fishermen had headaches and nausea and um, skin rashes and uh, you know coughing and cold-like symptoms, and they had not been properly treated and diagnosed for chemical illnesses. And as a consequence. Um, To this day, 21 years later, I am still dealing with sick Exxon Valdez oil spill cleanup workers. So to hear, you know, on May 5th, two days after I got there, that these exact same symptoms were surfacing again because the people were not given respirators. Um, They were given hard hats, which was one of the mistakes that happened to us. Um, And so I was able to say, well, you know, <laughs> There's short term effects and long term effects from breathing toxic oil fumes. And it sounds like you're already experiencing short term effects. So, you know, here's what we can do to try to pr- break this cycle. So, that was like one of the initial things. And part of this was about. Um, wearing respirators, which actually never happened, banning dispersants, we all tried that. Um, This is very toxic chemicals that are put on oil to break them up, but also they're industrial solvents, so they have their own set of um, poisons and effects on humans and animals. Um, Banning dispersants didn't happen. We're still in the process of that. And we're now to the point where um, I'm helping people try to get proper medical treatment. So that's one. But on a bigger scale, not just individual people, um, is the um, lesson that both Exxon and BP came in, flew in after their respective disasters and said, We will make you whole. In Alaska, we waited four years for that. To happen for Exxon. We believed Exxon. We were dumb enough to believe Exxon. And of course, Exxon is not about making um, anybody whole. It's about minimizing liability. This is what spillers do. So they make decisions to minimize their own liability. And those decisions actually put the people and the environment at more risk. So I was able to say to people in the Gulf and community after community, well, we were dumb enough to believe Exxon. Are you going to believe BP? Um, and that can be plan A. It would be really nice to believe that BP is going to make you whole, but what if they don't? What's your plan B? And so I was able to help people see that they needed a plan B, and that came in very handy because, sure enough, the lies started up. um, uh, Five federal agencies found no oil or Correxit, the dispersant, in the air, in the water quality, in the seafood. But People were encouraged by what I said to do their own water quality sampling their own air quality sampling their own seafood testing and you know they have, people have found problems um, and people uh, then ordinary people just residents and visitors to the Gulf got sick got sick by the droves um, and exact same illnesses that the offshore workers were getting and um, people had air quality data and water quality data back up why they were sick. And so I was able then to say, well, then you need to take blood work. Um, so people were able to show that their own blood was reflecting the oil and gas, oil and dispersant that were, were in the air. Um, so people got it. And actually, um, then I also donated, actually, 8,000 copies of my book, Sound Truth, so that people could read up on chemical illnesses and understand what they were in for. And people were, in the Gulf were coming in to see their doctors, and they were actually more knowledgeable than their doctors on chemical illnesses because they had read my book. So, um, I mean, knowledge is power, and that's what I work to do down in the Gulf, give people knowledge so that they could empower themselves and um, figure out what they needed to do as individuals, as families, as a community, to kind of defend themselves against the BP disaster and this total uh, cover-up wash of lies that, that followed um, in the wake of the disaster. So, in essence, you were
0: able to be a witness and validate
1: people's reality. And actually, yes, and that is one of the most critical things. And thank you for pointing that out, because I remember now with Exxon Valdez, we were just frantic to get people to believe us, that this really was happening to us. And this is a very hard thing for people coming in to believe, okay, maybe Exxon lied, but why would the federal government be lying? Um, And there is a huge amount of... Um, industry capture not just of the different agencies I mean everybody makes a joke of the old mineral management service which went down in flames uh, of corruption um, and bribery and um, all kinds of things and has now since been recreated but actually it extends to um, Uh, industry capture of our entire federal government. Um, And what I'm talking about here is our oil dependency is now so great that apparently no um, president, whether Democrat or Republican, can actually see beyond the end of our oil dependency. And so when something like this Gulf disaster happens, it's all about aiding the oil industry and getting back to business as usual, back to oil business as usual as quickly as possible and there's a lot of other industries and people that are hurt um and those seem to get rolled under the carpet and so to have people say why is the government the government's lying and i would believe them because this had already happened um so we actually made good strides in um in, in realizing that this is about community defense. And when we get past the immediacy of oil is poisoning people and poisoning their children, and should people evacuate um, now more into the fall, um, in winter people can step back and take a broader uh, look and um, start answering some of the questions that were raised back as early as June, is why does the oil industry have this much power? What has happened to our government? Isn't this America? What can we do? And, like, I live for that question, what can we do? Because now I'm involved in a national um, coalition to um, take back our our government, to take back our democracy. It's been hijacked by these big transnational corporations. And that, that work of our... It's a very grassroots effort um, on the line of the abolitionists and suffragists where we're not going to Congress right off the bat. We're going to people in communities and saying... Um, You know, you have this little situation here in the Gulf. It's the Gulf disaster. Um, It's pretty apparent to you that you don't have power. Um, So what would a community, if you wanted to rebuild your community, what would it look like? What do you want it to look like? And people have ideas in the Gulf where their culture counts. Um, The shrimp boils and the getting together with, you know, community and family, um, that all counts. And that that doesn't count on the corporate bottom-line profit. Um, So the corporations don't care about quality family time, and they don't care about um, individual health because people have to buy medicine, and that will profit their big pharma industry. You know, it will profit them if people are sick. So they really don't have to care. Um, about the things that people do care about. So if we were going to grow our economy in a way that matched our values, the human values, it would actually look very different than what is being um, discussed today as progress and business as usual. We're not talking about the big transnational corporations business as usual. People are very interested in human scale um, economies. So regional food, regional water, regional energy. Regional economy, um, not depending on these big, um, you know, sort of aut- um, autonomous government, uh, quasi governmental structures like these big corporations, to to um, bring. <laughs> we will make it good for you. People are saying no. We're starting not to believe that. We're seeing the fallacy with that. It's like oil all over our backyard. We don't know when we're going to get better. So. What would a, a, a green, a clean, green economy look like? How could we diversify our economy in ways that will maybe start getting us off this oil dependency? And that's a big question down the Gulf because that area supplies forty percent or so of of, of America's oil and, if, um, and domestic oil. And if we can, you know, if, if to change the culture, it takes a few people who have changed their minds. That nope, this is not going to work anymore. This is not safe for me. It's not safe for my family. I want a, a different way. And you don't have to change everybody's mind at once, but it has to be a few dedicated people that will see this through. And once people start having the solar panels or the wind generators, um, um, then and start saving the money, and start, you know, they actually realize it and their own family incomes, it's making a difference. And other people go, oh well, then I want to do that too. So it's a matter of you know, cop, Tom Sawyer whitewashing washing the fence kind of where you, know, you eventually get everybody on board because it is a much healthier, safer, cleaner way to live off oil. It's just that people are, have a colonized mindset right now, and they really can't imagine what that future would look like. So it takes a few dreamers to turn into doers in the community and actually build the economies of the future, um, and then others will come on board. So how does this relate to the 14th Okay, that's the other part of this. Um, To change the Constitution, there's actually a couple of steps before that. You have to change people's minds, and you have to change the culture, and then you can change the Constitution. And in our case, this move to amend.org is very much about transitioning off these um, unsustainable and unsafe and highly polluting um, and wealth-concentrating energy, coal, oil, gas, um, and getting onto something different. Well, we can't do that as long as the um, oil companies and the coal companies have the power of the pen. They are actually writing our energy legislation and electing, uh, influencing to the point of pretty much dominating the election process where their politicians get elected who aren't going to rock the boat. I mean, they're just not going to rock the boat. We saw this with the failure of um, you know Copenhagen to... Um, um, to really put anything meaty on the table that was going to trans- start our transition. Um, and by, by our, I mean the rich nas- you know, <laughs> countries that are oil-dependent. Um, nothing changed. Nothing changed at Copenhagen. Um, so we're up against these corporations. And these corporate. how did they get so big? That traces all the way back to... Um, the Fourteenth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. Actually, it goes a little bit before that, but let's just go with that for right now. And the corporations. Um, um, let me let me go back and say that mm-hmm. in our constitution, um, our constitution uses the word "person." Uh, I think thirty-four times. It never distinguishes between a natural person or a human person and a man, a, a what's called an artificial person. Um, or a corporation. So it just uses the word person 34 times. So the corporations at the time of our founding, well, at the time our constitution was um, passed, and the Bill of Rights, um, the corporations were uh, carefully controlled by the state legislature, and that worked for about a hundred years or so, um, where corporations had to have their charters uh, renewed by the state legislature every, even as often, frequently as three years. Um, and, and I mean, they were very um, carefully contained creatures of the of the state, um, and the, cor- the corporations, of course, were the wealthy ruling elite that as time passed, and the abolitionists and the suffragists were agitating for rights that they never were recognized in our Constitution and Bill of Rights, um, finally the 14th Amendment passes, and that is about um, giving, recognizing uh, due process and equal protection of african-american men yes but in the 14th amendment it uses the word person it doesn't specifically say african-american men and the corporation saw this as an opportunity to um, get equal protection for their person the artificial person Um, so The first 40 years after the 14th Amendment passed, there were actually 307 lawsuits brought, of which 19 were brought by African-American men agitating for equal protection. The other 288 lawsuits were brought by corporations trying to get equal protection under the law. And in 1886, in Santa Clara County versus Southern Pacific Railroad, the way it happened was the court didn't do do this directly. I'm talking here about the Supreme Court. Um, but it happened through the court process that corporations were conferred um, the 14th Amendment. Mm-hmm. Um, and when that happened, that pushed corporations from the government, corporation, um, Uh, public, transparent part of the power equation to the people side the real, living, human, breathing you know, human um, living, breathing people side where we have inalienable human rights we're sovereign we the the people are really sovereign Um, we act in the private sphere and now because corporations are persons like humans suddenly they're sovereign they're entitled to inalienable human rights Um, and of course this is something the founders never intended Um, but with that newfound power over the next 100 and well, almost 30, 40 years now, the corporations, the corporate person, has agitated through the Supreme Court, always through the court, um, for more and more inalienable human rights, to the point where the corporate corporations now, in this what's called the um, constitutional. Rights, corporate constitutional rights doctrine. This is the 1886 sort of creation of the Supreme Court, where corporations now have constitutional rights. Um, and under this doctrine, this illegitimate doctrine, um, corporations have now usurped First Amendment rights of speech, um, fourth Amendment rights of protection against unreasonable search and seizure, which they're using ag- against federal agencies who want to come and check for air quality, water quality, meatpacking violations. Um, and um, the Fifth Amendment um, right of due process um the sixth and seventh amendment rights to a civil and criminal trial, uh, jury trial in civil and criminal cases, um, and of course the Fourteenth Amendment. So, with this constant erosion of our um, of human beings' inalienable rights, um, the corporations have now amassed um, wealth and power to the point where their voices. Dominate ours in in our in our political system and in, in our legal system. So really, at this point, our democracy has been hijacked, and sort of the final um, nail on this coffin was Citizen United, which uh, was another Supreme Court ruling on January 25th of this of 2010, and that ruling. Actually, opened up corporate treasuries for unlimited spending in federal elections. So now we will have corporate elected politicians passing corporate written laws that are interpreted by corporate elected officials. And I'm saying corporate elected because the corporations are just going to dump in money so that they, you know, uh, make sure that they get the person they want into the advertising process, into the, you know, all the things that influence the voters. Um, And This decision, the Citizen United decision, was actually based on two previous illegitimate uh, decisions that the Supreme Court ruled on. One was because corporations are persons, which they are not. These persons need um, have free speech rights. Money is speech, which is another. Uh, 1976 uh, illegitimate uh, right that was given away so if we limit the spending we in effect will be limiting speech and that would create a disadvantaged class of person the fortune 500 companies so therefore we cannot limit spending because we would limit speech and we would create a disadvantaged corporate person the whole thing is like make believe it's like your worst sci-fi movie you know run amok Um, But the upshot of all this is is that nobody has, no living person has the kind of wealth that can um, spend, you know, outspend these big corporations that live in perpetuity. And if they, you know, you defeat them once, so what? They'll just come back, uh, you know, after you're dead and try it again. I mean, so really, um, what this is about is ultimately changing the U.S. Constitution. But to get there, we have to go back decolonize people's minds, help them understand that, yes, we the people are sovereign, we are the only ones that can co-create our communities ourselves, we can come out, we can create what it is we want, bring other people on board, just like the abolitionists and the suffragists did, convince more and more and more people, and ultimately, yes, amend the Constitution. But do it through the everyday practice of living and breathing and and co-creating together um, what it is that we want, and then seeing how difficult it is to sustain that, because these corporations can just use our own democratically enacted laws against us. So it's a, a an awakening, an education, and then ultimately um, a, a political process of voting. Yeah, uh,
0: Ricky, would you speak to us a little bit
1: about your new book? Um, Not one drop um, has actually been out since um, 2008. Um, it is my latest book. Um, And it's actually about the emotional trauma of disaster, um, and so Exxon Valdez Oil Spill, and the litigation process, um, and what breaks when a community has to go through this, and how that can be healed. And it turns out, this is quite a book for our times, because um, when a community is stressed, with financial matters, um, it turns out that's the number one um, cause of dysfunction, is financial distress. So at the individual level, family level, community level, everything kind of comes tumbling down. And the way this distress manifests in a society is with increased um, domestic violence, increased substance abuse, increased suicides, increased divorces and increased polarization. And we had all that happen in Cordova. We went through all that. But then it was like, okay, wait, how are we going to get past this? And it was when we decided as a people to focus on not the things that divide us, but the things that unite us. Instead of arguing about what we didn't want to happen in our town, we reframed it and we said, well, what is it that we do want? and we only gave ourselves three minutes to write, and this was you know, huge public meetings, groups of people, young people, older people. Um, and we all found that at our core, we really wanted the same basic things. We wanted to pass a livable planet onto our children. We wanted our community to become more self-reliant. And we wanted our children to have the same opportunities that we had. Um, and we were rapidly headed in the wrong direction. And when we came to that realization, then it was like, oh, well, what do we need to create then to get to achieve that vision? And it became a much more proactive um, Um, exercise with all of us agreeing what it was we wanted prioritizing the action steps and then saying okay step number one how do we raise the money and go do that and that exercise is called um, community unity it's posted on my website Um, ultimatecivics.org or rickyot.com will get you there Um, but I've actually done this with 5th graders all the way through university out into um, communities that are polarized because it is a tool to end polarization and get kind of all noses pointed in the same direction Um, and Um, I mean, here I launched Not One Drop right in the midst of the October 2008 recession. And people were going bonkers over losing their jobs, losing their homes, losing their retirement security. And here I come with, well, this happened to us, and here's how we got through it. People got it right away. But ultimately, it's a question of who rules? Is it democracy which reflects the human values which we all express you know quality family time with our kids retirement security not taking it away or is it this very corporate um, capitalistic structure that really doesn't care about human values or what's important in a community and all it matters is uh, corporate profit and we can see by the way we have structured our you know when we when we define progress, we define it through something called a gross domestic product, which is a way of measuring money, exchanging hands. And unfortunately, the way we grow our economy right now, it's war profiteering. It's being sick because you have to get, you know, pay for all these um drugs and medic- medicine it's private prisons and the 3 years that i have been touring now with this exercise and and, and this learning from from prince william sound from alaska um, i've never heard one people when i one person say when i ask what what do you like Um, I've never heard one person say, oh, well, I want to be sick because it's good for the economy. I want to go to jail because it's good for the economy. I want to go to war because it's good for the economy. But that, in truth, is what our economy is reflecting right now. It is not our values. It's corporate values. So if we want to switch that, then we have to co-create the communities that we want, you know, learn how to... Um, make collective decisions again as a people by finding out what we all agree on rather than what we disagree on, take the action steps to do that in our community, and oh, by the way, make sure that our operating rules, whether they're our local laws, our state laws, our state constitutions, or our federal constitution, are all in alignment with allowing the democracy to flourish instead of the corporacy
0: the people to flourish.
1: The people to flourish, rather than the, the the business model that we've created, the corporations.
0: Thank you very very much, Ricky Ott. Uh, is there something you'd like to add?
1: Um. When will this be airing? Um. Uh, a, a this year. The days. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yes. then there's one more thing. I Um. I just want to reassure America that. What happened this summer in the Gulf, the BP disaster, is not all over. And I know that our president and all of the federal agencies are all saying it's over, everything's fine, but that is far, far, far from the truth. And I encourage people to keep following this story. I'm going to be following it on rickyott.com. I have Huffington Post blogs on what the real story is. we as a nation need we should use this gulf disaster as a transition to help us get off oil to start our transition off oil that opportunity still is not lost there are so many people who are sick in the gulf this is being covered up so i encourage people to follow the story and when the people in the gulf start saying we want you know help with uh banning dispersants or whatever the ass comes out of the gulf i'm hoping that people across the nation will support the people of the gulf so rickyot.com, bridge the gulf project.org to get the real information on what's going on in the gulf those are that's gulf people that do that website so It's not all over. Please hang with the people in the Gulf and let's use this disaster. Let's turn it into the opportunity that it is to transition our nation off oil and let's not stop screaming until that transition is done.
0: Thank you very much. I appreciate you giving us your time.
1: You're very welcome. Future Primitive is made possible by the Marion Institute. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider supporting our work by making a Tax deductible contribution online at futureprimitive.org.